Turning to the Gospel of John, we'll be looking at John chapter 6 this morning. This is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and many more. This is the one miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John's account of it, he's got over 70 verses devoted to um, this miracle and his commentary upon it. And so we're going to be spending the next three weeks looking at different aspects of what Jesus' teaching here is with the feeding of the 5,000. Follow along with me as I read from John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15, and then we're going to be skipping down to verse 25 where the story picks up. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled themselves baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is coming into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Here's where we are in the midst of this story so far, is that Jesus has had his ministry we most recently saw outside of Jerusalem. He has moved from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee, and he's currently on the other side. He's with them. He has this miracle where he feeds 5,000. His disciples get into a boat and they go across the lake to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Over the course of the night, Jesus meets them by walking on water, and our story resumes. On the next day, verse 22, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, 
What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you may believe in Him whom He has sent. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would teach us by your word, that you would give us your spirit, that we would understand, and that by understanding, Lord, that we would believe. We cannot do that on our own, but we need your spirit to work in us. So, Lord, we pray that you would draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're heading out on a mission trip to Belize, and it was the first time that I'd been on a mission trip outside of the country. And was excited to be going on to this place to support a church down there. And it was an added benefit that we are going to be going to a tropical Caribbean country and be working right off the coast of this country. And so as we were working out our arrangements for where we were staying, we found out that we were going to be staying in a coast, um, I'm sorry, staying in a house on a river right by the mouth of the river into the Caribbean. And I was like, this is great. I love serving Jesus. We're going to go on a mission trip and get to stay on waterfront property, you know, in the Caribbean, and this is going to be awesome. We got there, and as we arrived in the city, um, subsequently I learned that the, the main river that ran through Belize City was also the main sewer line um, that ran through the city, and so we were staying in a house about like this with our waterfront property right on this sewer line, which was the river that drained out into the sea right on the other side of us. So as the week progressed, one of the things that happened is that we would stay at this house, have the sea breeze blowing into our bedroom um, in the morning and evening, and um, we would walk the third or so mile to the church where we, were, where we were working. And as we would walk to the church, we were always and constantly surrounded by a group of people who were heckling us, and they were always trying to get us to buy stuff. They were trying to get us to buy stuff like this boat, and they get us to buy boats, get us to buy, um, you know, dolphins, other sculptures, other wood things that they had created, people getting us to buy uh, jewelry and whatever else they could sell to us. And so we had this experience when we walked to the church, when we walked home for lunch, when we walked back at lunch, and then we walked home in the evening, they were there just constantly getting, trying to get us to buy us something. There was one man in particular who would heckle us nonstop. And in fact, he would show up outside of our windows, there's a little wall, he would show up outside of our windows before the sun rose, and he would shout, we would wake up with him shouting into the house saying, do you want to buy a boat? Do you want to buy a boat? And then anytime he saw someone move past a window, he would shout out, do you want to buy a boat? And we'd walk down the road and he'd be right with us and constantly heckling us, do you want to buy a boat? I'll give you this price. And this was nonstop. When we're having our meals in the house, he'd be over by a window shouting in, do you want to buy a boat? Do you want to buy a boat? And it went on over the course of the entire week, and it was uh, really, really annoying and distracting. Well, close to the, the day before we were about to leave, we were having a team dinner, and one of our, we were eating dinner together, and one of our teammates didn't show up. And he, uh, he didn't show up, and about, we we're all kind of wondering where he is, and about halfway through dinner, and we're sitting there talking, um, this team member of ours comes into our dining room, and he has his arm around this man who has been heckling us all week long. And he walks in and he says to us, with his arm around this man, he said, you know, this man here, his name is Moses, and he has been heckling us all week long, but I have, I have shared the gospel with him, and he has just 
committed his life to Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he is no longer a heckler, but he is a, a, a brother in Christ. And so we were excited and trying to make sense of what exactly had occurred here, and this is good news that God can change any heart. And the instant it got quiet, Moses said, does anybody want to buy a boat? We come to this passage of Scripture that reveals to us what it means to believe in Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And it also shows us many of the challenges of believing as well. The climax of this passage, as far as we've gotten into it in our reading of this chapter, comes in verse, chapter tw in verse 29. And in verse 29, there's a crowd that's come after Jesus, and Jesus summarizes, in the, summarizes what it means to be a follower of him. And Jesus says to them, and he gives them this statement, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, to believe in him who he has sent. It's going to take us a while to unpack exactly what Jesus is saying here. And we're going to look at this phrase in a couple different chunks. The first thing we're going to examine is what exactly it means to believe in Jesus. And in particular, to contrast belief in Jesus from believing in the benefits that Jesus can provide. To believe in Jesus and not in the benefits of Jesus. See it here in verse 2. Um, verse 2. So the reason why they were following Jesus, there was this large crowd that he would need to feed, is that the large crowd was following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So there's this, this flock, this, this herd of people who've been coming after Jesus because they, they want to watch him heal. Some people wanted to get healed. Other people wanted to see what he was doing and see the healing that he was bringing about. And there were probably a couple people who might have been wondering just exactly who is this guy. I know I always have that question whenever there's a, a crowd of people gathered around somebody. Um, you know, particularly when you're in a city and you see a street performer coming along, you're always I'm always wondering, like, who is this guy and what can he do? When I was in high school, we were on Fisherman's Wharf on Pier 39 in San Francisco. And some of you might know the guy in the picture. Um, we were in Fisherman's Wharf, and I was in high school at the time, and we were walking along Fisherman's Wharf with my family. And as we were walking along, there is this there is this bush in front of us, which we didn't notice at all, right? And so we're walking along, and we're chatting, we're eating ice cream, and right as we're a couple steps away from this bush, this man jumps out of the bush, he's like, right, with this bush, and we're like, right, we freak out, the guy's lucky, because I thought my dad was going to knock the guy's lights out, and in the midst of the, you know, being terrified at the moment, we look up, and there's this crowd of people who was standing around all rolling laughing at us that we have just gotten, uh, you know, that we've just got this guy just pulled this joke on us. Um, he's the Bushman there. You, he actually, some of you have probably seen him. He's been there for years. But whenever these things happen, whenever these street performers go in, I'm always curious as to what they're going to do. And gather around, and you see, see, see a crowd of them, you know, whether they're, you know, they've got some gimmick or shtick, you know, and, you know, if there's going to be break dancers there, that always gets me because, you know, that used to be my jam and whatnot. And, um, and when they see them, the question that's always going through my mind is, like, is this for real or is it not? W what's he going to do? And if someone's really good, and sometimes there are people who are amazingly talented, 
and amazingly good, and you're wondering, like, why is this guy on a street corner with this much talent? And like, who is this guy? Right? And so what's happened to Jesus here is that he has fed 5,000 people, he has been healing people, and they are gathering around him, and they are following him. And verse 15 describes how their response to Jesus as they seek to understand what he is doing. Verse 15, here's what happens after he feeds them. It says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the sequence of events here is that Jesus has healed people. There's a flock of people who has come alongside with them. He has now healed, he has now fed over 5,000 people, plus women and children, do the math. And their response to this is that they want to make Jesus king. Free food for all, right? They want to make Jesus king. Let's overthrow that, that selfish, arrogant despot of a political ruler we have right now. We want Jesus to be our king. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is the one that's going to bring us the benefits that we want. Jesus brings us the benefit of healing. Jesus brings the benefit of free food. Jesus, if he becomes king, brings us the benefit of being freed, of being freed from the Ro- Romans. So let's make him king. That's how the people respond. It's pretty much the way every political campaign runs, right? Believe in this candidate because of the benefits that you're going to receive, certainly in the last election cycle. Believe in Trump because he's going to bring you the benefits that you want. Believe in Hillary. And they're just reiterating the message of four years before. Believe in Obama. Believe in Mitch. And and Mitt. Believe in them because they're the ones who are going to bring about the particular benefit that you want in your life. You know, it's like, as a country, it's like we're, like, trying to, like, elect Santa Claus or something, right? Believe in this one who's going to give you the, the benefit that you're after. But Jesus is no Santa Claus, right? He's no Santa. And so Jesus clarifies the difference between the benefits of Jesus versus Jesus in verse 26. He says to the crowd who has now met him on the other side of the lake, Truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Chew on that for a second. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Weren't the loaves, like, one of the signs that he just did? Weren't the loaves the miracle? Isn't that why they were following him right now? Yes, of course the loaves were one of the signs. But the problem that Jesus is identifying to this crowd that has followed after him is that they didn't move past the sign to the thing that the sign signifies. They didn't move past the fact that they were eating bread to the fact that it was the bread of life who had given it to them. They didn't move past the benefit to the one from whom the benefit, from the one to whom the benefit comes. They didn't look at this and say, oh, wait a second. Only God can do miracles. Only God can heal people. Only God can provide abundant blessings. Is this the true Messiah? But that didn't occur. I think similarly, people often first come to church uh, because of uh, crisis or challenge in life. You know, maybe because there's things in your family or your marriage that are falling apart. Sometimes people come to church because they're going through a very difficult time, and they're looking for hope. They're looking for hope in the midst of their hopelessness, or they've got anxiety and confusion about life, and they're looking for a peace 
in the midst of, the, of their anxiety. And if that's you, it's good that you're here. And it's good that people come to church in those moments because God frequently uses the challenges in our life, the crises in our life, God frequently uses those to wake us up and to get our attention. And that may be the reason why you're here today. But what needs to happen, because at some point, hopefully sooner than later, at some point, your, your belief in the benefit, I want hope, I want peace, I, I want my marriage to work, I want to understand a purpose. At some point, your belief in the benefit needs to shift to the one who gives those benefits. Your belief in the benefit needs to shift from the benefit to belief in Jesus Christ himself. And it continues over the course of the Christian life, is that periodically in the course of the Christian life, we can get regularly distracted from focusing on Christ. And so we periodically need to recalibrate ourselves from living the Christian life and focusing on living the Christian life to focusing on the Christ of the Christian life. For kids who grow up in our, our church, this is normal. Your family goes to church. This is part of what you do. You see, you, there's, you, you see various things that occur in our church. There's various benefits of being a part of our church community. You hear about mission trips, and maybe you want to go on one of those one day. You get to participate in things like the best three nights of summer, which indeed are the best three nights of summer, right? You go to Sunday school. You, hit, you get a variety of these different benefits that occur from being a part of our church. But at some point in your individual spirituality, your spiritual journey, particularly for your kids who are here, at some point in your spiritual journey, you need to shift. You need to look beyond the benefit and the fun aspects of being a part of a church to Jesus Christ, the one whom this church is completely about and testifies. Is that the work of God is to believe, not of the benefits of Jesus, but to believe in Jesus himself. And it is to believe. Let's look at the second chunk there. The work is to believe in Jesus, to believe in him. Verse 26 clarifies this dynamic. Jesus says to them, verse 27, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set a seal. Jesus says to this crowd, do not work for the food that perishes, but work for, the, for, that, but work for that which endures. Set your focus on that which lasts. Right now, for the people in this room, there are a variety of stress and pressures that you have in your life. You have stress and pressures from your vocation and what's going to happen with your career, how you're going to provide for yourself and your family. You're faced with various health challenges, various illnesses and struggles. You're in the midst of potentially a conflict with someone in your life that has been, uh, that's been weighing on you, that is constantly there. There can be financial pressures for how you're going to pay for college, what about retirement, what do you, how do you care for aging parents, and all of these things weigh on you. And what Jesus' message is, 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 is pick your head up, like lift your head up. 
these things are not unimportant, but they will all perish. They won't continue. And there is things that occur in this life that endure for eternity. That what you do now and the decisions that you make now and the course that your life is set on now will continue for eternity. And Jesus is saying, set your gaze, fix your focus on a course that continues forever. So he says to them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. They understand that, so they ask a very natural question. They say to Jesus, okay, we need to work for the food that endures to eternal life. What must we do to be doing the works of God? What must I, what must I do to gain the food that endures forever? And you can see why the question makes sense, right? They're saying spiritually, what needs to happen for this in my life? Because I know in every other area of my life, if there's something that's going to last, I have to work for it. What do I need to do? And so Jesus gives them the answer. He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That's it. That's it. That you believe in him who he has sent, Jesus Christ. You say, well, wait a second. I mean, surely there's, there's something, so surely there's something that I need to do here. And this is what makes Christianity unique among all the world religions and philosophies. Because all of them are trying to answer this question in different ways. What must I do to gain the food that endures forever? And so they all try to answer that. Some will say, well, you need to follow the eightfold path based upon the eight noble truths so that you can then move into a state that will continue on. Others would say you need to follow the five pillars, the five pillars of Islam, that this is the pathway that you need to go down. If you're into more modern spirituality, modern spirituality would tell you that you um, need to meditate so that you can find the inner path, so that you can discover the essence of your being. All of them are seeking to give answers to this question, what must we do to have the food that endures? And they are all giving answers of what you must do. And what Christianity says is that what you must do is you must believe. That's it. You must believe in Jesus Christ. See, the good news of Jesus is opposite of everything in your experience. If you decide that you want to start, you know, move your body into a state of good health, you want to be healthier, so you decide that you need to start eating better. So you come up with a plan to eat healthier. You know, you need to eat more fiber. You need to eat a whole lot more fiber, way more fiber than you can imagine wanting to ever eat. You need to eat a whole lot more fiber. You need to eat a whole lot more vegetables. You need to stop eating junk food, right? You need to, you need to drink a whole lot more water. And if you do these things, you will move into, you will get to a place where you will be healthy and you will feel better if you follow down this pathway and you do these things. If you want to get physically fit, you need to come up with, with a plan, with an exercise plan. Find someone who's going to hold you accountable to that plan. No pain, no gain, but if you endure, if you continue to work out, if you're faithful, if you're diligent, over time you will get to a place of, of physical well-being. In your workplace, if you want to have success and, and get to the highest levels in your organization, you have to work hard, you have to be diligent to achieve 
But the good news of Christianity is that you cannot achieve your relationship with God. You cannot work to gain eternal life. And it's good news that you can't do that because even if that were the path, you wouldn't be able to do it. You say, well, I can swim. Great, well, swim to Japan. Well, I know how to jump. Okay, jump across the Grand Canyon. I know how to dig holes. Dig a hole to the other side of the earth. Even if, even if that were the pathway, you would be unable to do it. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ, and the way to eternal life, to a relationship with God, is to believe. And it's that simple. It's that you actually say to God, you say, God, you know, I, I can't work enough to gain a relationship with you. I can't, I can't achieve enough to have eternal life with you. I don't deserve a relationship with you. But I believe that you give me a relationship with through Jesus Christ. And that's it. And when you profess that, when you profess that belief, you pass from death into life. It is really that simple. But it's not always that easy. It's that simple. But it's not always that easy. And that's where I think there's a, Jesus gives some keen insight in terms of his answer to this person. Is that Jesus answered the man, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God. I don't think what Jesus is saying here is, it's not about works, it's about belief. Right? You're not saved by works, you're saved by your belief in Jesus Christ. So the work of God is to believe, which means it's not a work because it's actually a belief. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is identifying here is that it is, it is a challenge. It is that simple. You just have to believe. But there are challenges to believing. And there are challenges to believing that the truth of the gospel applies to you. Have you ever felt that the promises of Scripture for some reason don't apply to you? That maybe they happen to other people but to not, not to you? That you possibly, that you see people living by faith and you see it working out in other people's lives, but for some reason, those promises just seem to elude you. Maybe you've had friends that you have prayed with together for years that each one of you would marry a, a great, fun Christian who's going to help you grow in your faith and you're going to have a wonderful life together. And, then you, and so you pray for this, and you start to see your friends have that prayer answered. And then you're saying, well, wait, wait a second, where is mine? For some reason, this seems to work for everybody else, but does not seem to be working for me in this regard. Or you feel in some regard that God's love, God's plan, that somehow, you know, well, yeah, I believe that God loves me, but, but it just doesn't seem to apply to me. Jesus' disciples felt the same thing. You see, here's what happened. There's a great crowd that has been gathered together. And Jesus turns towards his disciples. He said to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Philip was from that area, so he would know all the local, local bakeries and everybody else in the area. He would have family connections. And Philip responds to him, 
200 denarii, which is eight months of a person's salary, eight, eight months of a person's wages, says eight months' salary would not be enough to buy bread for this crowd for each of them to have just a little bit. And so Andrew comes along, and Andrew says, well, there's this boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? This is way too little to do anything. And on the one hand, it's understandable their doubt and question at this particular moment, right? We know that there are over 5,000 men who are fed, not including women and children. So take that number and multiply it by two, three, four, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, you know, reasonable. This massive crowd that's gathered together. And Andrew's like, well, I've got something, but it's not going to do anything. I mean, it's understandable when they look at the situation why they'd say, how on earth are we going to feed this group of people? It's understandable, but. It's understandable, but. But these were Jesus' disciples. These were his disciples who were with him at the wedding in Cana where they watched Jesus turn gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of water into wine. They saw that. They tasted it. They've been going around for over the last year, and they've been seeing Jesus doing things like healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, who'd been lame for 38 years. They've been seeing Jesus heal people, give sight to the blind, make the sick well. They have been seeing Jesus do all these things, but for some reason when they came to this situation, they're like, yeah, but this one's different. <laughs> yeah, this one's out of his league. This one, I mean, if he could just make bread to feed these people, why on earth have we been carrying around so much food on our journey so far, right? Th this situation right here is different. He's never worked this way before. What they should have said when Jesus asked them this question, how are we going to feed these people? What they should have said is, I have no idea, but I'm going to follow you. I have no idea, but if you want to feed them, I don't know how this is going to work out, but you're going to make it work out. They should have responded like Jesus' mother did at the wedding at Cana when Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and says, they're out of one. He's like, what does this have to do with me? And she's like, do whatever he says. Right? I don't know what's going to happen, but you pay attention to him, and you do whatever he says. But for some reason, the disciples felt, you know what? This situation right here, this one's different. I think this is actually one of the biggest obstacles to our faith today, for people today. Is that we have, in Western society in America, in this day and age right now, is that we have passionately come to believe that I'm special and that I'm unique, and that I'm different. But I really am. Like, we have, you know, we convince ourselves. You know, no, no one understands. No one understands what I'm going through. No one understands this situation because I don't. And so we've got, we, in, the, in addition to our own self-perception, we have these targeted marketing campaigns from the Russians who unwittingly... <laughs> who unwittingly convince us that we really are unique and special and that, that things don't apply to us. And so we become so, we are so, you know, 
resolved and committed to this idea that I'm going to make my own path. I'm going to choose the road less traveled. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to celebrate, and I need to celebrate my true self, which is distinct and special and different and unique from everybody else. So what happens then is that when we see people who are living out their faith, when we ourselves witness God doing things in other people's lives, when we ourselves experience God's grace at work in our lives in undeniable ways, and then we come to a new challenge, we say, but this is different. This is different. The rules don't apply here. You see, each generation of people, indeed each individual person, has to turn into trust in Jesus Christ, has to turn into believe in Jesus Christ. And they have to turn into believe and believe that the promises of God and that are true. That the work is to believe in Jesus. The work to believe that the promises of God are actually true. Not just true in general, not just true for other people, but that the promises of God are for you. This is the work of God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. What does that mean? It means that when you are faced with the stress and pressures of things mounting up upon you, when your career is not going the way that you want it to go, when you've got conflict with a family member and tension and animosity that doesn't go away and it continues to hurt you so bad, when you've got sickness and illness and disease that is altering your life course, when you have got financial pressures that are weighing down on you, it is work to believe the truth that there is a loving God who is in control and sovereign over your life. It is work to believe that when you are in the midst of crisis, that when you are in the midst of intense suffering, it is work to believe that this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It is work to believe that. It is work to believe that when your world is coming completely undone and it is coming completely unraveled, there is work, it is a challenge, it is work to believe that, that in Christ Jesus you have hope. It is work to believe that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. It is, it is work to believe that. When you feel condemned and judged, maybe legitimately or illegitimately, when you feel condemned and judged, it is work to believe that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not just in the future. Not there, not there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But right now, in the present tense, there is. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because right now in this present moment, what is objectively true is that I am found in Christ and bound in him. And because I am in Christ, there is right now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when you're being condemned and criticized, it is work to believe that. And when you are faced with being abandoned and being forsaken and feeling like nobody loves you, and nobody understands, it is work to believe the promises of God that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither things present or things to come, 
It is work to believe that nor the powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, it is work to believe that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What must we do to be doing the works of God? The work of God is this, that you believe in him who he has sent. The work of God is this, that you believe in Jesus. Jesus.